0: Hello, this is Gary Hutchins with the Sunny Slope Church of Christ in Omaha, Nebraska, and this is today's Bible class. A short Bible study, only about 13 minutes, every single day, seven days a week. That short time we can easily fit into our schedule almost all, almost every day, and it keeps us in God's Word and thereby helps keep us strong and even growing stronger in our faith, because faith comes by hearing the Word of God, Romans 10 and verse 17. But it also helps keep us focused on our relationship with God, upon our soul's salvation, our spiritual lives, and helps us to maintain a more positive spiritual-minded mindset to be able to deal with life every day. That's important. You know people in your life who need to turn their lives around, don't you? They need to grow in their faith. They need to come to God through Jesus Christ. Help them by sharing these short studies with them every day through Facebook friends, text messages, other technological means, with your family members, friends, work associates, neighbors, with literally everybody you can every day. You may help somebody turn their life around. You may help somebody grow in their faith. You may help somebody get to heaven. What a great blessing that will be for them, but also a great blessing for you. So make that commitment and start sharing today and every day with everybody you can. We are coming toward the end of our line of thought and study, talking about things that we hear a whole lot from a lot of preachers and a lot of people who mean well but they're repeating what they've heard, and they've believed it, and they're trying to pass it on to others, supposedly things from the Bible, but things that are not really in the Bible. Now, that may sound like a contradiction in terms, but and that's exactly what it is. Because these things are being taught as Scripture, basically, as the way to salvation, or as the way to follow God, or the way to be the church, the way to worship God, so on. A whole lot of, it covers a whole range of of topics, but these things, even though they're repeated, even though they're taught from the pulpit and repeated by members of different churches talking to other people about their spiritual lives, they're not in the Bible. And we talked about a number of those already, in fact, quite a few. When it comes to somebody asking, what do I need to do to be saved? Some people will say something along the lines that accept Jesus as your personal Savior. Well, that's not in the Bible. Now, other than in principle, we must believe and accept that Jesus is our personal Savior, but if we're just acknowledging that intellectually, making a statement, that's just the starting point. It's not the finishing point. We must add to that belief and admission obedience. The obedience to Jesus' teachings. People talk about the rapture. Never found in the scriptures. Never find that word there. It's a word, it's it's a concept, basically, I believe, made up by mankind. You know, now thinking some I think taking some some texts of scripture, misunderstanding them, making a further application that is just not there in the scriptures from everything i've read and i've read it all the way through um the idea that jesus is going to come back one day and and establish his his kingdom on this earth and reign on the throne of david in jerusalem that's just not in the scriptures in fact we looked at second uh, first thessalonians chapter four verses 13 through 18 where it says when he comes again on that final day of judgment the redeemed, the faithful, the saved, will meet him in the air and always be with him in that way. Doesn't say anything about his even touching a foot back on this physical earth. Well, Christians, when it comes to worshiping God, most denominations, you'll go in and you'll see up on the, well, the podium or the stage, whatever they want to call it, you'll see band equipment, you'll see uh, pianos, you'll see all kinds of musical instruments up there, maybe even stage lighting, but you don't find musical instruments being used by the church in the New Testament to worship God. Rather, it's singing, a cappella singing singing with making melody in your hearts. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 19 and Colossians 3 and verse 16. You never see an example of instrumental music being used in the New Testament church, the church established by our Lord upon this earth as worship to God. Never see that example. Never see it taught. Nowhere in the Bible is there a command or example for a set day to be baptized, one that's convenient for a particular church, saying, There have been a whole lot of people who've said they want to be baptized over the last month or two. We're gonna schedule a certain day. Now that's that's never seen in the scriptures, but rather baptism is always always performed immediately upon a person coming to believe in Jesus as their Savior, repenting of their sins, confessing him as their Lord and Savior and God's Son, and saying, I'm ready to be baptized. And a classic example is the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8. They were traveling along in a chariot, him and a gospel preacher, Philip, and Philip taught him about Jesus, and they were passing by some kind of body of water on their way, still traveling. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What is keeping me from being baptized? And they stopped the chariot and and Philip took him down into the water and baptized him. And they both came up out of the water and the eunuch went on his way. And so did Philip. They they saw each other no more, but it was immediate response, immediate obedience. When somebody, when some church says, we're going to schedule a baptismal service, What they really are getting across there is they do not believe baptism is necessary. Not necessary for salvation. So why go through with it? Well, we think you should be baptized. If it's not necessary, why should you be baptized? That understanding is never seen in the Scriptures. Faith only. A whole lot of churches will teach, all you have to do is believe. And if you press them on that there'll be a lot of responses that'll go along the line there's nothing you can do to be saved in and of yourself by yourself on your own well we're only saved by god's grace and certainly faith is the basis of that but without obedience again the faith is empty it's ineffective it comes up short once again what is what did jesus tell the apostles to preach to all nations Everywhere, to all creation, Mark 16, verses 15 and 16, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved after they've been taught the gospel. We also noted that baptism was never sprinkling in the New Testament. It was always a burial in the water, immersion. Colossians 3 and verse 12, buried with him in baptism. Romans 6 and verses 3 and 4, buried with Christ in baptism. No babies were ever baptized in the New Testament. Somebody needs to believe in order to be baptized. They need to understand what it's for. They need to repent of their sins, Luke 13, verse 3 through 5. A baby can't do any of that. A baby is born in innocence. And Ezekiel chapter 18 says that the son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, and the father shall not bear the iniquity of the son, but the soul that sins shall die. A baby is sinless. We also noted that no scripture says God chooses arbitrarily some people to be saved while leaving other people lost. That's the idea of predestination. Now, Jesus called everybody to him, Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 29. Well, let's look at some more here as we move on and come toward the end of this particular study. And we could probably go on and on with this. But there's a belief by a whole lot of people that Peter was the first pope, the first pope. Is that what the scriptures say? First you'd never find that word anywhere in the New Testament, pope, it's just not there. The idea of that particular office or position of one man heading over the church? That is absolutely not in the New Testament. In fact, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23 says that God made Jesus or appointed Jesus or put Jesus as head over the church, which is his body. Now, Jesus is the only head of the church. There is never anywhere in the New Testament scriptures describing the church or talking about what the church should be and the structure of the church that there should be any man or human being who would be over the church as a whole. It's just not there. In Matthew chapter 8 and verse 14, Matthew chapter 8 and verse 14, I want us to read this. And let me get over there. Thought I had it all set, but... uh, Okay, Matthew chapter 8 and verse 14. and here we find here we find this written now when jesus had come into peter's house he saw his wife's mother lying sick with a fever now did you get that peter had a wife and a mother-in-law we don't have mother-in-laws without being married to a woman so peter he saw his wife's or jesus saw his peter's wife's mother so that means that Peter was married. Peter was married. Now, what is a position that would disqualify a band for being a pope if he was married? The pope is supposed to be celibate. He's supposed to be unmarried, according to the teaching of this large church that claims to be the followers of Jesus Christ and claimed to be living by the New Testament teachings. But Peter was married. How could he have been a pope then? And if somebody says, well, that was different back then, when did the change take place? And where do you find that change in the Scriptures? Where do you find the word pope anywhere in the Scriptures? Where do you find that office or position of authority and power over all the church in the Scriptures? It's just not there. Just not there. Now, in addition, Peter identified himself when he was writing when he was writing his his first inspired letter 1 Peter chapter 5 he identified himself as an elder in the church the elders which are who are among you i exhort i who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed now an elder within the church peter identified himself as such well First Peter, I'm sorry First Timothy chapter 3 lays out a listing of the qualifications or qualities that are supposed to be inherent within a man who is appointed as an elder over a congregation of the Lord's church. And notice what it says. In verse two of 1 Timothy chapter 3, a bishop or an elder, then must be blameless the husband of one wife. Now, that, again, demonstrates clearly that Peter had been married, was married, and so since that large church that calls themselves Christian and says they follow the teachings of the New Testament Scriptures, the gospel of Christ, they say a pope is not, cannot, cannot be married. Well, you see, that's not in the Bible. Not in the Bible anywhere. In fact, again, that entire position of authority is not in the bible anywhere another thing that is taught that is practiced but is not in the bible is uh that that again that particular church and and maybe one or two other big religious groups they call the minister or the preacher or however he's understood the one who does the teaching stands in the pulpit Basically, looked at as being over a congregation, at least of, of 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 a church, they call him father. They address him that way, and yet when we look at Matthew chapter 23, Matthew chapter 23, and we read verse 9, Jesus is speaking here, and notice what he says: Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. Now, somebody might say, well, well, what about our biological fathers? Isn't it proper to call them father? If you read the context there, Jesus is talking, he's speaking in a context of religious titles, of religious titles. And he says, don't call anyone on earth your father. God is your father. Well, why do these religious groups then take up this particular title in addressing and, and identifying these particular Leaders within their various churches. Why do they call them father? It's practiced fairly widely, but it's not in the Bible. Not in the Bible. Now, also, no preacher or board of deacons or any kind of organization devised and instituted by mankind within particular religious groups, no synod, no convention, has, has any authority over the true church that Jesus established upon this earth. No preacher. Again, we go back to Acts chapter 14, Acts chapter 14. We want to look at verse 23. And so so when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they communed, uh, they, 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 commen- they commended them to the Lord in whom they had been believed. Now also we might look at Titus, Titus chapter 1, the apostle Paul, writing by inspiration, is giving specific instruction to one of his co-workers, kind of a left-hand man, so to speak, Timothy being a right-hand man, and he tells Titus, he says, for this reason, verse 5 of chapter 1, for this reason I left you in Crete that you should that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city in other words in every congregation as I commanded you there is never never ever anywhere in the New Testament scriptures that talks about some governing body of men or women or men and women laying down policy or doctrine for the church. That's entirely made up by man, and yet it is a very common practice among a lot of denominations. It's just not in the Bible. Not in the Bible anywhere. Well, let's stop and we'll finish up this study next time. Let's pray. Father, guide us to be your followers as you have laid out for us to be in your word, help us to stay true to your scriptures and to recognize openly we cannot make it up on our own and be right with you. Please forgive us, gracious Father, and please correct us where we need to be corrected. Please forgive us and hear our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.